So this morning, um, I just wanted uh, to begin here in Matthew um, because of the part that it plays with the Noah story. And we'll get to that in just a moment, um, just in case you were wondering why we jumped to Matthew's gospel. And it's not a treatment on eschatology this morning of one being left and one being taken. I will say, um, nonetheless, uh, just as a side note uh, to us in our, in our eschatology and our view of end things here, if you notice, in comparison to the days like Noah, that's where we'll begin here in just a moment, but the entire thing, the rest of the text there, on this comment about the days that are coming to an end, this comment, it cast in the context of Noah. I'll, I'll throw this out to you just for food to uh, chew on or, or, or thoughts to think on. Um, and that is, notice, um, when the deluge came, um, one was taken and one remained. In the context of the deluge, of which our Lord here is then making reference, that this day will be like that day, where there were people, and one remained, and one was taken, it is a remark to the idea at the end that it is in our best of interest, by faith as we rest upon Christ, that here it clearly seems that it is better to um, remain than to be taken. If we, t- if we think through this text carefully, I've probably opened a can of worms that I just can't deal with this morning, but I just throw that out to you. That out of the, your two options, eschatologically, is it better to remain or better to be taken? It seems that it would be better to remain like Noah and his family than to be taken like those who were in the flood. But more importantly, as we kind of deal with the text this morning, is in light of our time in Genesis 8, of which we'll move to in just a moment, I want us to be mindful that we are moving this morning, as we, as we go to Genesis 8, in just a moment, we're moving from Noah's waiting, Noah's patience in waiting upon the Lord, and then now we're moving from this long period that Moses wrote very carefully for us to understand the weightiness of Noah's patience in the days of the deluge, waiting upon the ark, he and his family with him, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and now the text is moving as we conclude the time in the ark with God's final deliverance, Noah will be rewarded. It's important as we begin then, as I mentioned to you last week, I just wish you to think this thing through with me, that it's important for us to understand that the picture of Noah, so you're going back to Genesis 8 now, as we'll get there in just a moment, but it's important for us, each of us, to understand that the picture of Noah and his family on the ark, the picture of them as a faithful remnant, or as Luther would call them, a little church, patiently waiting upon the Lord for final deliverance is a common image developed across the page of Scripture. This is important for you and I to understand in reading of Holy Scripture, In fact, and that's why we're here in Matthew 24, because this image of Noah and his family is a faithful remnant, awaiting, they've been provided for graciously, and yet they await in this time of patience. They await the Lord's final deliverance. This picture of the Noahic family is a common image developed across the page of Scripture to our benefit. 
Notice here with me just where our Lord picks up and speaks to the church here in Matthew 24. It's been read for you. I'll jump into verse 37, which is of our interest this morning. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Right? Now you're thinking, now you're reaping greater benefit of the story of Noah. Of how you right now are to conceive of the story of Noah and its yielded benefits to you. Our Lord here explicates or makes plain the greater richness of the story. As were the days of Noah that you here at Redeemer have been studying for a portion of time. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. A day yet out in front of us here at Redeemer. For as in those days, referring back to the days of the Noahic flood, parallelism, just like in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field. Right? Did you see the, the role of Noah's family? All were swept away, only Noah and his family remained. So will those days when the Son of Man comes. There will be two men in a field, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and one left. Therefore, to you, the church, studying Noah and the story of the deluge, Stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. You see, Noah's deliverance, clearly taught here by our Lord, as we have been studying it for weeks, is an image of the salvation of the church. As we too, in this age, are to wait patiently for his appearing and deliverance. And it goes beyond that as we conceive of the Noahic story of how that gives us hope and encouragement as we too await final deliverance, the days of the Son of Man, His appearing, His glorious return, our final deliverance. Yes, we're kind of in an ark of Christ through faith. We've been delivered in one measure and a certain one at that. And yet final deliverance remains yet afar off. So what are we to do but to be patient? You see, this thought of Noah, as our Lord makes plain here, enables us to read the entire story of Holy Scripture much better. Perhaps you're reading through your Bible in a year. Maybe you're on one of those programs, and right now you're somewhere in the portion of the Old Testament for sure. How are you reading it? How are you piecing it together? How is it making its appropriate applications? You see... If we think of it in light of what our Lord makes plain here, the entire story of redemptive history, the entire story from cover to cover, the entire story of redemptive history is to be read with our minds and hearts set upon the truth that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is what Jesus makes plain to us in the story of Noah. We covered it when we deal with the small little passage, and I think chapter 6 on the issue of repentance, or the, the end chapter of, of, of 7, or midway through 7, 
the issue of repentance and God's immutability and its importance for us in daily living that God actually does not change. He is not whimsical, but he remains ever steadfast. As he says of himself, I am the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. There is no shadow of turning, James tells us. He's immutable in his essence. So also our Lord can make this application about the life of Noah to the life of the church. It will be the same. How so? Because God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Why is it so important that we read Holy Scripture this way? And particularly this morning as we think of the story of Noah. Because, you see, the way our Lord peers back in the Noahic story to speak about the church in the days that are ahead, it is that as we read the entire story of redemptive history, God's dealings in the past, and this is important as we move now toward Noah, God's dealings in the past prefigure his dealings in the future. How so? Well, because he's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. So that when testing comes, and it's inevitable that it will, it's inevitable that I look at uh, uh, 20-somethings and up, or even to children, uh, you know, uh, eight and nine years old and up, testing already has come. May vary in species and intensities, but testing has come to everyone who lives by faith. So that we're armed here, though, by the text of Scripture, so that when, not if, but when testing does come, and the days, similar to Noah, as our Lord said, when the Son of Man will return, it will be like in parallel to the days of Noah. Well, if we go back to learning about the days of Noah, we learn that they were exhaustingly evil. I say exhaustingly because they ought to weigh on the conscience of saints. We should have a particular bother about wickedness. It ought to in some way be a burden to us. But like Noah, as we were in a place of great hardship or exhaustion, or even being burdened because things are so complex and constantly moving, we cannot keep up with them. What are we to do based on Noah's story? Well, it's clear. We're to be patient. But what is patience grounded in? How can I be patient? Well, according to the Noah story, as we see, patience will have its reward. Patient, believing in God's deliverance, for the saints in this age is witness to us in the days of Noah. You see, Isaiah then picks up the same as it's typical of saints from age to age. Isaiah says it this way. I'm sure you're familiar and been, you've been refreshed by this text before, but think of it afresh this morning. God does not faint or grow weary. You see, you're thinking of yourselves as Isaiah speaks. You do grow weary. Uh, you, you, you do faint under the weight of hardship, testing, difficulty. But God does not. He does not faint or grow weary. In fact, his understanding of all the moving parts 
Isaiah says, his understanding is unsearchable. Think about the word to Noah being in a, essentially a coffin at sea with animals and family awaiting deliverance. Remember last week he sent out a crow and circled around perhaps came back. Again, sending out a dove some seven days at another event time it returning. How can this be? I thought God was to deliver my family. What must Noah do but trust in God's understanding to be unsearchable? He's right. Isaiah goes on to say he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might at all. He increases the strength. And then he ends in this strengthening note to a church in an age that is passing away. For they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. And added to this promise for those who wait upon the Lord, and now you're thinking of Noah and yourself, because the Bible is a unified whole, as our Lord says, these days will be like those days, and God will act in similar fashion because he does not change from age to age. So whether you're Noah and you're weary and you're faint, whether it's you this morning who faces similar difficult, challenging, exhausting things in your life, and you are weary like he was, and you faint just like he does because you share in the same said condition, the promise is sure. If you wait upon the Lord, the Lord shall renew your strength. You will mount up with wings like an eagle. You will run, and you won't be weary. You will walk and not be faint. And it's this sense of deliverance and promise and provisionary strength to the needy that we see right here in the text of Genesis 8 with Noah this morning. He waited and he waited and he waited and he waited and the Lord is renewing his strength. Look at the text with me, if you would. we got to go back to Genesis to see it uh, piece by piece in the text as we look in chapter 8 this morning. Beginning in verse 10 is where I want to pick up to see Noah's deliverance since his patience is being rewarded. Noah's deliverance, full deliverance, is at hand. Uh, Look with me and we'll pick up in verse 10 as we briefly noted on that and we'll go forward from 10 as we briefly noted it last week. Uh, He waited another seven days. And again, he sent forth a dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Do you see the text? It says, and behold. So he sent her out before. He waited another seven days. Nothing came back. He took her back. And and, and now he sent out freshly the dove. And behold, she brought something back. So Noah knew. By this, by this evidence, Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. But notice what he does. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove. And that time, she did not return to him anymore. There's an important lesson for us here regarding our faith in the act 
of Noah sending out the dove. In the first instance, I want to draw your attention to verse 11, because in the first instance, he sent out the dove, and the dove returned with a freshly plucked olive leaf or olive branch. So what does that mean for Noah in that moment, having sent out a raven, having sent out a dove, and again, no fruit for those labors, but his patience is called upon even more in difficulty to be a man of faith, to be a man of patience. He sends out the dove, and it returns, and indeed, there is, a, there is an olive branch. What does it mean for Noah? But that he receives, I want you to carefully consider this with me, that Noah receives some measure of certain relief. Again, I want you to think with me. I don't have time to go over and over and over it. And perhaps those of you who have been with us week by week by week feel that I'm beating a dead horse. But if I could just take one more smack at it. Noah's been waiting a long, long, long time. And here as he waits for this deliverance, he receives only partial good news. I say only partial because notice the dove, it still takes refuge in the ark. Notice he sent it out and, and the waters had subsided, but he doesn't send it out again for seven more days. So it returns, it comes back, the dove, behold, her mouth is freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew he had certain evidence but, but, that, but that certain evidence is partial. It, it, it's not full. It's not full deliverance. But, but, but there's evidence that the waters have subsided from the earth. But she still took refuge in the ark. You see, so what is Noah to do? What is the task of a saint in times of difficulty where you seek great surety and deliverance, but there's only a partial ray of light coming through the cloud? A small confirming sign that indeed you're his pilgrim people on the way. And it's not the sign you wanted. It's not the the hand that grasped you and drew you out and set you in a different trajectory where your prayers have finally been answered. But in this difficult journey, there is, in times of waiting, in times of difficulty, in seasons of longing, there is just this singular ray of light that breaks through the cloud. It doesn't push the clouds away in a new weather pattern. But it breaks through enough to nourish, but only a morsel. What is a saint to do to take and almost despise the surety? Because it's almost a tease. It's not what I've really been praying about. It's not what I really need. I don't need an olive branch. I need to get out of this ark. We cannot take that course because Isaiah warned us not to do so. In fact, he beckoned us, wait upon the Lord and renew your strength. You see, if we look at the life of Noah here in this brief act, of sending out the dove, and the dove returns with just a morsel of deliverance, just a singular sign, a single ray of light. What do we learn about God 
in relation to his people in times of need, that he will strengthen your faith incrementally. And that is not to be despised. Maturity takes time. It takes little steps. God is strengthening Noah's faith no matter how incrementally. His faith is being renewed. You see, God often gives us but a slight affirmation to our own faith in times of difficulty. And maybe you ask why. Why? Why are we given this slight affirmation and not full deliverance? Again, back to Isaiah, who he says his understanding is unsearchable. We don't know. We can't apologetically say something that will sufficiently bolters up the weight of those burdens. This is the meaning to this complex issue in my life. Oh, I see what God is doing. He's doing this, absolutely, no doubt. We won't have that certainty 99.9% of the time in our lives in this age. We just won't. Why did this complexity hit me at 100 miles an hour? Well, I know God has a reason. And then we begin to try and apologize our way through these circumstances. Only to be let down. Internally discouraged. A good exterior, but a broken interior. Perhaps we should rather look at it as God does faithfully meet me in my need, as he did here with Noah, but sometimes with just a slight but nourishing affirmation of my faith in him, so as to stir me all the more in my difficulty to earnestly pray for his presence and strength to be ever more felt. Perhaps that is why maturity takes time. He withholds for our good. That we might earnestly seek him, not rebel against him. For once traveling, if you can consider that with Noah, I'm sure, as his family were commanded to get into the ark with him, and the ark takes uh, buoyancy. I was going to say flight, but I don't think probably that would work, but you get the idea. It was lifted. And maybe it's kind of like one of those trips. Everybody cannot wait to get in the van, the 15-passenger Thomas bus. Can't wait to load into it. And everybody's got their blankets, night nights, and pillows. And everybody's excited until we get about 20 miles away. And everyone's mad and annoyed about this whole entire trip. Maybe that was the way that it was with Noah and his offspring. This is exciting for five seconds. So it is with faith often, isn't it? Once traveling, it's remarkable how quickly faith erodes. We feel maybe perhaps in life circumstances we have the bull by the horn. But once traveling, once that sun peers behind that cloud, how quickly our faith erodes. Calvin comments this. He says, quote, so when we find ourselves in difficulty, we have a good opportunity, a good opportunity to pray, saying, well, Lord, you will provide. See, it takes a certain level of maturity and faith to believe that. 
informed by the text of Holy Scripture. That it's not well-wishing. It's confessionally true. I do believe you will provide. In times of waiting, if we were to say, I'm in the time of a season of waiting now. I'm perplexed by many troubles set about me. I could count four different critical pieces that feel like they are themselves at critical mass and about to break forth in a deluge of trouble for me. If I am to wait upon the Lord, what should I be seeking during my time of waiting? Perhaps what was Noah seeking as he waited yet again as the dove brought yet a sure but small confirming sign of his faith. Well, our Lord answers our question as well. He says, seek first the kingdom. That's what we're to seek in times of trial, times of difficulty. To not find a way to untie the knot, to find a way to wiggle out of circumstance, to move our resume in a different direction or ensuring we'll finally get it picked up and read this time, to guarantee that we can change all of our life circumstances at a flip of a hat. But rather, instead of driving myself crazy in life circumstances, my Lord calls me seek first in difficulty the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things about life, all these challenges of the deluge of trouble, all your needs, all these things, they will be added to you. So that with full confidence we can join with Noah, with the saints of old, and in our own confession, we can say convincingly through faith, all I have needed. You'll be able to. You'll be able to look back on the road. I'm uh, 38, full disclosure. Birthday, October. I like, oh, wait, never mind, never mind. No. Um, so, I, you know, to some of you, I'm old. Some of you, I'm young. Um, just whatever. It's relative. So I'll just speak for my own self, as I conceive 38 at this point. Um, I can commend to you at 38 um, that I can look back over at least these many years, however you conceive of them, many or, or not many. I can just give an account for whatever I have experienced. And I can say to you and commend to you as brothers and sisters that I can look back and say, the Lord has provided. Through a number of circumstances. Some of them, again, to you, that would be nothing. Maybe to me, it's everything. Because, again, it's all relative, given our constitution, given our set of circumstances, given our setting in life, given the burdens that we bear, given our upbringing, yada, 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 yada. So many different moving parts to assessing someone's that's a big deal or that's a small deal. So many moving parts. It's not your call to judge, but to graciously weigh in, perhaps, if asked. But I can just commend to you, whether they were big to me or small to me, I can look over and summarily say, God is faithful. And that is what the Noahic story tells me. It informs my faith that that's who he will be, is he will be faithful. And then by grace, I experience through his providence and kindness and working and outworking in my faith and in my life and yours as well, that he is faithful. So that we can say together, and if poetically, We'll look back over your 38 years. You'll look back over your 70 years. You'll look back over whatever. 
And you can say, all I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. This is what we learn from this passage. The final deliverance then to Noah is clear. Look at verse 12 through 13. Then he waited another seven days um, and sent forth the dove. And finally, finally, she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dry from off of the earth. Finally, the dove does not return, and thereby Noah realizes full deliverance and the faithfulness of God. Noah note, or excuse me, Moses, the author, notes for us so that once again we would beat one last time on that dead horse just how long Noah's been waiting. Notice, if you look in verse 11 of chapter 7, in the 600th year of Noah's life, and then so on and so forth, they got on the ark. Then notice here that Moses wants us to be clear of the patience of the man of righteousness. Verse 13, in the 601st year, Noah's been waiting the better part of an entire year for God's deliverance. What we are to receive from this is that Noah's faithful patience and contentment in God has been rewarded. So to the people of God, this is always the case because he, not Noah, but he, God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you were to go to Hebrews 11, and we won't, and I'm winding down our time together. I, I mean it sincerely. If you were to go to Hebrews 11, though, and you were to read about Noah, again, who appears in the New Testament to help you read the Noahic story even better. Hebrews 11:6, I'll read it for you. It says, and without faith, this is what it's commending to you and I. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, that is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, number one, and that, number two, he rewards those who seek him. Do you know what the very next verse begins with? By faith, Noah. So, so let me read the text again. It's, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Like, for instance, Noah. You see, Noah is the man of righteousness, the man of faith, the man who walks with God. He's the man of great reward. He is unto us an exemplar, a fellow saint who exercised faith and patience and righteousness in times of difficult circumstances and was richly rewarded. That's how this text commends itself to you. Finally, in our last moment together, is this. The closing scene of the deluge opens almost the exact same way, or, or closes almost the same way as it opened. 
Look with me in the text, finally, our last portion of the deluge. Verse 14, the second month of the 27th of the month, the earth dried out. Look at how the text concludes our portrait of Noah. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark. Look at verse 18. So Noah went out. You see, story is the same. Noah's portrait is the same. As he begins the new uh, uh, creational scene and his family becomes uh, the, the centerpiece of God's multiplicity and blessing of, the human, uh, of, of, of humanity and the creation begins to be renewed and Noah stands at the center of that. Do you know what the portrait still remains of simply of Noah? That same man who walks with God. What does it mean to walk with God? For God to speak and you to listen and obey. That's what it means. That's what it's been describing for the better part of two chapters or so. In so many actions, in so many ways. To walk with God is to obey God. That's what it means. I have final two questions, and we're not going to answer them. I'm just tossing them out to you as summary questions for the entire Noahic deluge. The entire story is simply this. I have a summary of studying Noah and the deluge. How can we not believe the Lord will guide us? Now, how will we? How can we not? How can we not exercise faith? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the text of Holy Scripture. We pray for forgiveness of our lackadaisical treatment of it, our failure to be people who read it, wherein our faith is bolstered and assured and nourished. I pray that you'll help us to reap the benefits of Noah's life. That as a fellow saint with feet of clay, we share in the same condition as he. Yet we see, as your people, you provide what's necessary. Not because we're someone special, neither was Noah, but because you're the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. To all of your people through Christ. So Lord, enable us to exercise faith to walk with you in difficult times and trusting ourselves to you and your kingdom first where we trust all the things that are necessary to live will be added to us. You will provide. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.